Hello, Brattlebro. This is the Montpelier Happy Hour here on uh, WVEWLP Brattlebro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and I am sitting in the studio right now with regular contributor Emily Kornheiser. How are you, Emily? I'm wonderful. How are you, Olga? I'm good. I'm good. I can't believe it's Friday already. I know. But we have uh, a lot of fun on today's happy hour, you know, the show where we talk about how things in Montpelier shake out for Wyndham County. And today we are going to talk about, this is the, I guess we should call it Montpelier happy hour, the uh, sex edition. Ooh. How's that? That sounds exciting. (laughs) And yes, the thing the human race cannot reproduce without, and advertising agencies can't seem to make money without and the thing that many communities has have wrestled with throughout time that that is our topic and we're going to fit it all in in an hour indeed because this is part two in legislating morality last week we talked about drugs this week we're talking about sex and next week we're going to talk about public spaces And today on the show, I'm just about to bring on today's guest. Her name is Rebecca Ramos, and she will help us sort of frame this conversation and talk about some of the the deeper the deeper issues. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? Great, great. Excited to be on. So glad you could join us today. Uh, Before we get started, Rebecca, could you just give our listeners a little bit of a bio so they uh, they know more about you and the work you're doing? Sure. Uh, I'm a a lawyer, a lobbyist, a political strategist. Um, I have been doing some type of political work in Vermont, uh, probably uh, in some way over the last 15 or 20 years. Um, I've worked for governors, um, senators, uh, um, and now I'm at a a firm that we, we work on things, you know, regarding harm reduction, um, to universal child care. So uh, often I'm, I'm, I'm working on political strategy as my main skill set and very fortunate to get to work on a lot of things I love, including this issue. <laughs> and I think one, one thing we're going to focus a lot on in today's conversation is when it comes to legislating morality and, and sex, particularly, uh, Emily, correct me if I'm wrong, but decriminalizing sex work is one of the things we we really want to focus on today. Absolutely. And because we were talking um, before we came on air, and I think, Rebecca, you and I have talked about this a little bit before, but there are existing laws in place for a reason, and I think they were sort of part of this larger framework of legislating morality. And so I've been trying to figure out, and I wonder your perspective, on what the existing laws are hoping to accomplish. Because I like to think that most laws that are in place were in place because someone had a good intention at some point. I don't know if that's always true, but I like to think that in Vermont, while there might not have been good impacts, there were good intentions. So I'm curious if you have a sense of what the existing intentions of the laws are. So what I understand from the current and their called prostitution laws, um, Vermont's laws uh, were, were basically written in 1918, and they were a it was a, um, a, a basically a replica about a, uh, with 
other states. So basically, you know how we have these uniform codes where people just, uh, states just adopt what other states were using? Mm-hmm. That's what this, our language comes, that's where our language is and hasn't been updated. And do these um, all come out in the Comstock laws? Some, yes, are, yeah. So we're, when you talk about Comstock, so I'm not <laughs> sure if they, these were specifically, you know, Comstock, but this, you know, it's two things. It's kernel, you know, like this fear um, of women, fear of fear of women, and then controlling women, and um, and uh, that this this they're bad, right? So we're just want to we're going to criminalize and try to control things that we think are bad and that are corrupt that are corrupting, um, and so without with a level of morality, which I you know, which is interesting because I don't think nowadays we have that same type of Vermont is not that same type of place. Mm-hmm. that it was in 1918, and, and which is why we're looking at changes. We're looking, there is a study, there is a, the AG is looking at making some changes to these laws. Well, I find it really interesting that they date back to 1918, because that for so many communities was such a pivotal time. World War One had just ended, and um, for a lot of areas of society, that really changed a lot of things, and I think women were starting to step forward a little bit more into their own independence in new ways. Yeah, and maybe they didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> that might be an understatement. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, we don't want, you know, like, that's too scary. That's too scary for us, for um, women to have agency around that. And so um, the, the reality, though, is that, that the, the current laws are enforced, um, and women are being um, charged with them, and and often, from what I understand, talking to to um, folks, the, the police often law enforcement sees it as a way to get to the women to try to help them, even though they they're doing it through the criminal justice system. Um, you know, when instead of it, you know, like it becomes very paternalistic, mm-hmm. uh, and and then some cases maybe that makes sense especially if you're doing more trafficking and things um in some places it doesn't make sense at all well i think that just to play devil's advocate i think a lot of people might think that some of these laws protect women um or they're they're quote-unquote supposed to protect women how do you feel they don't so it, it really has to do with um consent and and a woman's agency like mm-hmm. her autonomy and um what and whether and how she owns her own sexuality and um uh we have grown up and like our culture uh often doesn't want women to own their sexuality because it's it's scary and we want women you know it's the whole madonna whore uh situation the whole like um if if women um, have their sexuality, then it means that there's we have less power over them, and um, the the whole slut shaming it all relates right to about control and who has the power, and uh, and if women have too much power, then where where does that power come from? Right? And is are we stealing power from men, or can we just both have our own power? And I uh, it and I thought these laws, even though they're they. Well, both, you know, men and women, both, all, everyone wanted these laws because these settlements are fearful and they're corrupting influences. 
So mm-hmm. um, there are there are times, it is true, where when consent is not involved from both parties, when you're talking about like levels of addiction and trafficking, which which are you know when when are we have major issues on those things. But if we're just talking about two adults paying for a service, that's a different thing. And one thing that I've been really struck with as I've been researching this is that when it is two consenting adults, but it's within this framework of prostitution, then women don't have the protections for their body that we have legislated in other places in the last 30, 40 years. So women can't seek support if there is a rape or if someone does not pay for their service or whatever it is, but they don't have the protections that other women walking through the world have Mm -hmm. because they've already sort of crossed into the land of illegal. And in fact, in some jurisdictions, and I don't know yet if this happens in Vermont, women are often charged with prostitution just for carrying condoms. Hmm. I don't know that. I don't think, I don't know if we do that type of condoms as a, uh, I don't, I don't know if we have that here. So I think that's like more urban areas, yeah. like New York and California. Um, so it was in, I guess, you know, I've had a chance to talk to sex workers and about and hearing their voices and um, the places, the communities that have been the most successful with how, like, what do we do with sex workers? If, if, if sex work is work, where, what is, what are the needs of sex workers to exist in our society and and um their experiences is exactly in what you're talking about is like right now they don't feel safe they're they're assaulted and then they can't call what if one of their clients is harmed they you know the fear of calling and 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 having retribution um and be and being arrested and so like there and even some law enforcement i'm not saying that this happens in vermont because i don't know but there are you know examples of you know, law, law enforcement using the, those threats for coercion. So, uh, you know, if Vermont ever decides that they want to do something, it's important that we have the people, you know, like the people that are actually in having this experience are having their, vo- their voices be a part of it. This is a really interesting, were you about to say something like that? I, I was, but finish your okay. thought first. And this is a really that. interesting part to me about how we create legislation, too. So um, if we are going to bring the voice of folks who are working in this industry into testify in the legislature, how are we keeping them safe mm-hmm. um, from prosecution while they're doing that, from shame? How do we have those conversations in a way that's open enough and transparent as we want democracy to be, but are still the respecting the rights of the individual who's testifying. And I can't figure out my way through that. From my understanding, you need someone's full name on the record when they've testified. Um, so I've been really trying to figure that out too, because that was a big also issue in the abortion debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I ask Rebecca my next question, you know, that might actually be a place, Emily, where journalism can actually help because mm-hmm. journalism does have avenues for protecting people's um, identity when their safety is. We, we don't like to have anonymous sources, but when someone's safety is in question. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a place where, where maybe journalism can help mm-hmm. in some way. So I, I talked to Ledge Council a little bit about this because mm-hmm. I was curious. And what I've understood is that um, there are ways to get 
to have to get information and witnesses in the record that had that that are anonymous are veiled in some way. And I and the examples where it's happened on um, cases around uh, witnesses around mental illness and around um, civil unions and gay marriage. So there's there is some path to that. Oh, good. I, mm-hmm. I don't the de- I don't know the details. And just for our listeners, Ledge Council is Legislative Council, and those are the cadre of amazing attorneys that work in the legislature, specifically for the legislature. That's who writes our laws. Rebecca, I would love, just for the sake of our listeners who might be new to this topic, can you give just a very quick, and I I realize I'm asking a lot, but a quick overview of what the Vermont laws are like now? some of the things they outlaw or they don't outlaw, and then some of the efforts, uh, like where are the efforts taking us to? Does that make sense? Yeah, and the law, you know, I'm uh, not an expert on all the laws. The law around prostitution is very, um, very short and very simple, and and, and I could pull up the language, but it is not... um, it's not like in other states that are super uh, complicated. It, it basically it's um, the offering or receiving of the body for sexual intercourse for hire and shall be construed to include the offer or receiving uh, of the body for indiscriminate sexual intercourse without hire, which is historically no one's the last piece, which no one understands has really never been um, uh, enforced. Huh. And, what they have found out is because this is so specific, there was all these issues around the whole happy endings. I think some of that was done in all way and the massage um, uh, businesses that they, you know, they were trying to get some of these workers for prosecution because it was so specific. Mm-hmm. That it must so, be intercourse. Um, is yeah. the... It must be intercourse. Okay. And so at first I think people could, no one has really been paying attention to these laws because sex workers are have no voice, right? So they're having these the sex workers, are, and I think probably victims advocates were paying attention, but uh, this topic hasn't really been out there as something that we needed to change. And I'm sure it has been in, in more urban areas, um, specifically in California, New York. Which um, so I, I know since I. Uh, you know, like the last six years, it's been a conversation we've been having in our office and having with some housing Senate members because it's something they have been talking about. Um, and so this was the first year that uh, the the actual legislature passed as part of a, um, a, a, a criminal justice bill that has the AG with some victims groups looking at these laws, both the the prostitution language and the sex trafficking language to, to create some recommendations for legislation. And so there's an opportunity, right, you know, like we're, we're, about, we're about to get some recommendations from the AGs about what's the next step as we move all this stuff forward. So that was, um, there was an expungement bill that went yep. through and as often happens, there were a few studies that were tacked onto it because they need to live somewhere and this <laughs> seemed like a relevant place for them to be. And that was asking the attorney general's office to come together with a few other stakeholders and put forward some recommended legislation to update the laws. Yes, and it, and it seems like from that conversation, there will be some recommendations 
around um, modernizing sex work language in some ways. And it, it could be some type of decriminalization or it could be something like a good SAM law that, like, that was passed in California this year. Basically, it allows uh, women or men who are sex workers, if they are they're calling in because of someone's being harmed or their harm, they won't be arrested for um, prostitution. Or and sex we work. have really similar laws in place already that probably most of our listeners don't know about, but with regard to um, drug use, mm-hmm. if you or someone that you're with is experiencing an overdose or in some sort of medical danger, you can call 911, you can bring someone to a hospital, and no one will, um, you will be free of any prosecution for that. Um, didn't didn't they, the state also expand, like, the quote-unquote Good Samaritan law? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's what this is. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so the one thing I just, so when we started working on marijuana reform, and I wasn't, you know, our firm started that, like, 15 years ago. I've only been around the last six years with it. But we, we, part of it is how do you begin to talk about things that are so ingrained in our minds and our culture and our mm-hmm. ideas of the world that are so wrong, right? I mean, like, we were, people my age were raised on just say no and all, you know, all marijuana is bad. And it's just, it's, it, it is, it took 15 years to get to a place of like, oh, well, what actually is marijuana? What does it mean? Like, what is the black market? What's harm reduction? And it's a, I, I, you know, I, I do think our state is ready to have the next conversation about, well, like, okay, what is it mean? What does sex work mean? What is that? What is, where does it come from? Is that, are those, do we still hold those values that we did a hundred years ago, do we have different values now, and what do, and what are those? And I and I, it feels like Vermont is a place that that is both um, uh, libertarian and, and and libertarian enough and liberal enough to be to take the big morality judgment space off and put like the practical harm reduction um, uh, uh, uh perspective on, you know, actually sexuality and autonomy are real, right? Let's make sure that we're dealing where the problems are, which is where, like, you know, women who are having, who have had very hard life because of ACEs and other things and and have addiction and mental health issues. Let's deal with the underlying causes instead of just criminalizing people um, when when that's not, you know, addressing what, what what's actually going on. That's so. so important to me, Rebecca, that point that we can have um, whatever morality we want, whatever historical morality we want. But regardless of that, and regardless of our feelings, there are people engaging in sex work in the state of Vermont right now, the same way there have historically been people growing marijuana in Vermont. And yeah. if we want those people to be safe, safer Mm -hmm. and if we want our economy to you know be less in the black and the gray market and more in the light um, what policies do we need to have in place to make that happen so to really just build law from a place of realness rather than fantasies of a past or a future yeah or fear right Mm -hmm. I mean like okay what so what if we say like women and men who choose to have um, 
businesses that relate to their sexuality with adults and consent, how is that harming other people that are not a part of that uh, transaction? Mm -hmm. And it, I totally get that this, can, to some people, can be a radical, radical notion. But, um, you know, in reality, it's, it is, it's, it, you know, like in reality, it's not. It's been around for a really long time. We have just chose. We've, we've made choices around it that are actually are have been harmful for hundreds of years. And the women that I know in Wyndham County who have done this for some period in their life, it was an absolutely reasonable, rational, best choice scenario for them at that point in their lives, um, and they would have done it much more safely and had much more integrity and probably much less trauma from it if it was something that they were able to do legally. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, I'm wondering, some other countries have decriminalized prostitution or, or legalized pro prostitution. I can put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. Have you looked at any of those countries and seen any of the outcomes or results? That, that might be worth adding to the conversation? Yeah, so right now the two major models are like the New Zealand version, mm -hmm. which was in the early 2000s, um, which was a basically like got, they really engaged with the sex working community and talked about what their experience were and what they needed based on also what community means. And there's a, and it's a, it's just a decriminalized. There is uh, women and men who engage in sex work. They have, they, they, it is a bit, it is their job and that's what they do and they pay taxes and they could be an accountant, but they choose to do sex work. It's just a, a, some, a business. Um, and then there's a, the, the Nordic model, which is, it is a, it, a, the the client is is still a, a criminal, so that's criminalized. And so you have the sex worker who is not is decrim, but the actual the person paying for it is criminalized. And so, what the, the the data that I read and from talking to the actual folks in the field, there the Nordic model is actually making things harder. It's still criminal behavior. It's still you still they still um, marginalized. They still, you know, a lot of the problems they're facing, and some of it's even worse because it's had, you know, it's like further underground. And so, um, you know, the conversations that we've had with legislators and other folks that are interested in this, you know, we're like, well, if we're, you know, how can we represent the sex worker and their voices who are as most possible? And that would be like trying to understand what. Um, what they what they feel like makes the most sense for them, mm -hmm. and and what we understand is the New Zealand model. You know, I I I look forward to having the the folks in the field actually getting you know like engaging with legislators to have their experience be real. You know, the one thing we don't know, and it's not clear, is often these are urban environments. Um, we're not quite sure what has how is that different in in rural communities or in a rural state. So, and there's really no lot of data or there's not that much data or information that I know about um, just because this is something we just haven't spent much time on. Right. What do you 
think, forgive me if this is a terrible question, Rebecca. What do you think the legislature um, needs to do or individual legislators need to do in order to be ready for this kind of conversation, in order to be ready to hear these witnesses respectfully and make policy based on their lived experiences, in order to be able to sort of pull their morality back and look at effectiveness. What do you think we need to do as a body to get ready well, for something like this? And I would add to that, Emily, when they go back to their communities, how they talk about it in their communities to other constituents. Mm -hmm. So I do, I think that it is, it's a trick, this is a tricky question. I mean, we are from Azusa working on gun safety. I mean, we've worked on a lot of, a lot of the issues. We did all the, the choice abortion stuff last year. And, you know, like often things feel like they're a moral question, but in reality, you know, like if, how much uh, can we take the morality out of the law, right? And that was one of the things we tried to do with all, almost everything we work on. We try to take it, make it as fact-based, story, like database, data information-based, and like what is the practical, what is happening, and how do we do that in a practical, effective way, right? So like, stop, like not all the feelings, get rid of, get rid of all the feelings and all the judgment, and be real. And I and. Um, I just, you know, we don't really have any polling or any data to find out where, you know, Vermonters are around this question. Um, all, you know, on the choice stuff and the gun stuff and on, you know, the universal time. And for most of our things we work on, we have, we have campaigns and, uh, and years of polling. <laughs> you know, like there's so much information that you have. Do you have an understanding of where constituents are and where uh, legislators are? And... You know, right now, we, the, you know, one of the problems I see just as a strategist, like, there's not even a, there's no work, because this is not, like, some big campaign or here in our state, even though it's in other states, in some other states, just a couple, we haven't even, we haven't even stated clearly for, for legislators what the, what the problem we're solving. And mm -hmm. so, um, I wonder, that's, you know, like, the, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I wonder... You know, you named some really big, very divisive campaigns just now. I wonder how mm. many Vermonters are going to say, um, especially legislators, are going to say, well, this isn't really a problem here. This isn't really a thing that happens here. And so does that mean that something like this could sort of coast on through under the radar and everybody <laughs> be like, yeah, this makes sense. Let's just do it. We'll improve four people's lives. Or if that means everyone's going to be like, not in Vermont, you know, things are, things are know, better than that I here. Yeah, I, you know, what if, if I feel like if House Judiciary starts out with like some expansion of the Good Samaritan law that, that, so we can start normalizing having the conversation. If we, if, if House Judiciary decides they want to do something, go out big with a big bill and then they feel a lot of pushback, you know, like part of this may just may be like, people trying and seeing where the caucuses and others are, right? I mean, sometimes you put stuff out there and you're like, oh, wait, that's not, like, the work hasn't been done to make the case yet. And I, and for all the work I've done in my years, this is, this, there's not this, um, we, you know, like, we do, we do have the victim advocates being very clear about what they're, what they're, the experience that they're having with, with, you know, their victims. And so they're they're going to be able to articulate that case. 
um, and they're very credible. But from a the larger, like, you know, the 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 larger need, you know, statewide need of why we need to spend legislative time on this, um, it just may be like Judiciary Committee just says, yeah, well, this is our area. This is what we care about and this is what we're working on. And, um, but, you know, I, I, the, a lot of this will be up to leadership and, and you know, the, the goal of leadership is basically not let stuff out of committees that they don't want to do with, deal with, you know. So if, if leadership says, actually, this time's not right for this, then it doesn't come out. I really appreciate that angle that you're bringing in, Rebecca, because so much of what we've been trying to do on the Montpelier Happy Hour these last couple of months has really helped our community understand what actually happens in the legislature and how it works. And so hearing you talk about that level of strategy um, and really talk about like what is it to be effective in the legislature versus what it is to sort of lead with what's right and where you find the intersection between those two things is something I'm really excited to pick up after we hear <laughs> from our underwriters. <laughs> so hang tight, everybody. We are going to head on over to some of our underwriters and then the Montpelier happy hour on WVEW 107.7 FM shall return. <laughs> <laughs> 